Father, as we come to you tonight, we're very grateful to be your people. We're grateful to be the people of God purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. As we look at this message from Genesis 34, we pray that you'll get your word deep into us. We want to have ears to hear what you would say to your people tonight. We lay this time at your feet. Pray you'd be glorified in it. Speak, your servants are listening, Father. Tune us into the voice of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Genesis 34 is another sordid chapter in the book of Genesis. That's why I've named the uh, message tonight, Shame in Shechem. And what happens in Shechem is a shame. And some people might even ask the question, why would we study a chapter like Genesis 34? And I truly don't have a great answer to that. So let's just skip over it. and We'll move on to chapter 35. No, just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, here's what the Bible says, and I, I'd like you to turn to 2 Timothy, holding your place in Genesis 34, to show you what the Bible says about all Scripture, a reminder, but I think an important reminder, and I'm going to take us to a little wider context in some familiar verses. 2 Timothy 3, look at verse 14. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor. He's under the tutelage of Paul, and Paul writes these words about the Bible. 2 Timothy 3. Verse 14. If you're not there, just take a listen. He says, You, however, speaking Paul to Timothy, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings of the Holy Scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. All Scripture, not some, but how much? All scripture is inspired by God. See the word inspired there? It's a Greek word called theonoustos. It's the combination of God's name, theos, and breathed. All scripture is literally God-breathed. Scholars say that the way that you could put this word is to say it's literally breathed out by God or God breathed out the scripture or the words on the page, if you want it that way. And it's all inspired by God. And it's all what? It's all profitable to you. For what things? For teaching, for reproof, that is to be instructed, to be reproved on matters of life, to be corrected for correction, for training in righteousness or right living, that the man of God or the woman of God may be adequate, equipped, and one of the versions says thoroughly equipped for how many? Every good work. Move into chapter four, verse one. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Paul writing to Timothy, Timothy's a young pastor, here's his instruction, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, his tool will be the word of God to do all of the above with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching or, or doctrine, sound is the word where we get healthy, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The instruction of a pastor is to teach and preach the word of God. And since all scripture is inspired by God, then the pastor's job is to teach what? All scripture. And that's why when we go verse by verse through the Bible and we come to inconvenient chapters like Genesis 34, and it's not the most joyful section, 
We teach it anyway because it's in the Bible for a reason because God breathed it out that we might take it in. And I'll tell you, there's going to be some hard things to listen to tonight and things that uh, the family of Jacob does, the children of Israel, the actual beginnings of the nation that are ugly. One thing that happens to one of the family members and then how they respond to it. Now just uh, so that we can catch up and uh, I'll just say one other thing about the nature of Scripture if you go to Genesis 34 is if the Bible was a man-made book written by some Jewish scribe to make the Jewish people look good, you would never have Genesis 34 in the Bible. But it's not just Genesis 34. There would be a lot of chapters that would not be in the Bible because this is warts and all. This is all the ugly stuff that you would find in the mainstream, mainstream newspaper tonight on you know, 2020 specials, on those shows that show you know, what happened to this person, they disappeared, family member killed them. You know, this is the kind of stuff that does appear on the pages of Scripture because the Bible is a divine book it's not, a, it's not a book that man just, you know, said, hey, I want to make the nation of Israel look good. Genesis 34 would not be there if that was the goal. Now, last week we saw Jacob. He had come to this ominous moment where his brother Esau, after 20 years, would meet him face to face. Jacob did everything humanly possible to try to protect his family. He offered gifts to uh, Esau, his brother, he uh, tried to protect his family. He ended up on the other side of the brook and a divine visitor, a mysterious divine visitor, showed up that night, remember, and he wrestled with that divine visitor. Hosea 12, commenting on this chapter in Genesis, he held on and with tears and he says, I don't want to let go unless you bless me. And Jacob was renamed to Israel and I told you that one possibility of the name Israel means God prevails. And God did prevail that night. And Jacob got touched, remember? He got a new name and a new limp, right? A new name and a new hitch in his giddy-up. He never walked the same after that. And he went out and he met Esau. And he bowed to the ground seven times. And he stepped in front of his family. And he was probably thinking the worst. And Esau, when he saw everything happen, Esau ran to Jacob, fell on his neck, the Bible says. They wept together. They kissed. And the brothers reconciled. And a huge weight went off of Jacob's shoulders. And Esau and he, you know, they dialogued a little bit. Who is this? This big family you have. Wow, look at this. You know, you've got 12 sons and a daughter. Look at all these animals, servants, everything. They caught up a little bit. Esau says, hey, I tell you what, we'll ride out in front of you since I've got 500 men with me. We'll afford you some protection and off we'll go to Mount Seir in the area of Edom. And so uh, if you don't mind, Brandon, throw up that map for a second. Okay, I'm not sure if we can all see that very well, but hopefully you can. And so a little bit of uh, Jacob's journeys, uh, we can kind of see where he goes, and we'll go, we're going to have some, uh, if you can bring me up, if you don't mind, Brandon, bring me up that pointer if it's back there so I can show folks uh, where he's headed. But anyway, so uh, he, Esau offers him protection. He says, look, I've got this, this militia, and we'll go out in front of you, and Jacob says, oh, no, 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 look, we got the servants and the animals, we got little kids here. I'll tell you what. You go ahead and go. Everything's cool, bro. It's nice to be, you know, reconciled and all of that. And, and he goes, well, let me give you some men. Oh, no, no, no. We don't want the men. We don't, we don't need anything. We'll follow you to Mount Seir, but 
Jacob had no intention in following his brother. And so Jacob went back to his old ways. This is kind of what we talked about at the end of last time's message is that Jacob was renamed Israel, God prevails or governed by God, but he often still acted like Jacob. And Jacob means what? Conniver, deceitful dude. And we can all relate to that because even though we have a new name, Christian, and a new walk, and hopefully it's not with a limp, amen? That doesn't mean that we don't still fall sometimes into our old ways. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we have the spirit and the flesh. Thank you, Brandon. And the two are contrary one to another. We are in a battle. Can I get a witness? It's a war. See, the flesh wages war against the soul and the body against the flesh against the spirit. And then we have the world and then we have the devil. And sometimes it feels like we're doing good as a Christian, right? We're even letting people in on the freeway. Go ahead. It's cool. I'm filled with the spirit, baby. And then there's other times. How many of you saw, was it the goofy driving video? Anybody see that? He was all, <laughs> he's all friendly and happy until he gets behind the wheel. And then, oh, man. He's mean. Anybody like that? <laughs> All right, so, so he ends up and he comes to this place called Sukkot. Now, I, I mentioned to you that Sukkot is actually uh, the, the word for booths or tabernacles. The Feast of Sukkot for the Jewish people is the Feast of Tabernacles. If you'll notice where Sukkot is located, he is not yet in the Promised Land. So when he lies to his brother and he moves to Sukkot and when he gets to Sukkot he basically uh, decides that he's going to set up camp there and scholars would say that's a compromise because God's called him to go to Bethel so he does eventually and we don't know if he moves back and forth but he moves from Sukkot and he crosses the Jordan and he ends up at a place called Shechem and Shechem's going to be at the center place of our story Shechem is 20 miles north of Bethel Bethel, Bible students, means house of God. It's the word for house, which is bait in Hebrew. You could spell it like Beth, B-E-T-H. And L, E-L, is the name of God. So when you take the bait and the L, you get the house of God. And that's where he had that incredible dream, and he had Jacob's ladder, and he said, I, I didn't know, but God was in this place. Remember that? We've all had moments like that. We didn't realize that God was there, but he was there. And so scholars would say, what we have here is when he settles in Shechem, he, he kind of um, settles for not the full promises of God. He doesn't go back to this original house of God. This word Shechem, if you look it up, means shoulder. I don't know how much too much, how much to make of this but it seems to me that when you fall short when you don't go the full distance in obedience with God you end up shouldering a lot more stuff than you should amen you end up running into trouble you end up running into promises now some people say that you know this area of Shechem is an area that's very pagan if he would have moved down here maybe the land would have been more to himself uh, I'll let you do a little bit more homework on that but the bottom line is that Jacob kind of went between being Israel, God prevails, I'll let God govern my life, and then he had other moments when uh, it just wasn't happening, and he went back to Jacob. So that's what's going on there, and my computer apparently has decided to freeze. Okay. Just when I thought all my technology was working great. That's all right. Okay. 
So here's what happens now. So he does, he does build an altar at the end of chapter 33, verse 20. And uh, just notice, uh, let's just skip back for a second. Verse 18, 33, 18 in Genesis. Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. It will become Israel. And when he had come from Padan Aram and camped before the city, he bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hands of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there, and he called it El Elohe Israel. It has the idea of God is the almighty God. Now, it sounds good, sounds religious, everything seems to be going cool, but here's what happens now. Here he set up camp in Shechem. Chapter 34 says, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom, he had born, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. Now as we move into chapter, 20, uh, chapter 34, Dinah becomes the subject matter. Dinah is the only daughter in this family. Jacob has, he will eventually have 12 sons because Benjamin will eventually be the youngest and one daughter. Now can you imagine being Dinah in this family? It'd be pretty cool to have you know, 11 brothers, right? And eventually 12, right? They'd be pretty protective older brothers, don't you think? And so Dinah comes along. Her name is a Hebrew form of the word Dan. Dan means judge. And a judge could be one who judges you in the sense of a bad thing, like, you know, maybe a condemnation or holding you accountable. But a judge also could be an, a, a protector or a vindicator. So Dinah is the Hebrew female form of Dan. And so here's Dinah. She's the daughter of Leah. Remember, Leah was the older daughter, not the one that Jacob really wanted to marry, but she got snuck in by, uh, by dad Laban. And so she had several children. Before Rachel could even have children, she was having children. And so she bore to him Dinah. And so here's Dinah. And scholars believe that Dinah is probably about 14, 15 years of age at this point. So that means that Jacob's been in the land for a while, and all of a sudden this, the focus of this story becomes Dinah. Now when a, a young uh, lady like this was growing up and she was becoming a teenager, what they would do is once she became of marriageable age, she was pretty much told to stay in the tents of her family and if she was going to be married, the father would arrange a marriage with a, a uh, potential uh, uh, suitor. And the two dads would agree on a dowry and all of that. And so Dinah, you know, she's an up-and-coming teenager, and I'm sure she wants to see the world and all of that. So Dinah went out to visit the daughters of the land. Now, it would be hard, don't you think, if you only had brothers. Wouldn't you want to hang out girl power? Wouldn't you want to hang out with some girls? Some girl talk. You know, what do you talk about in the tents, you know? They come back and talk about livestock and, you know, Larry the lamb over here with the floppy ears. And, you know, how much can you talk about and with brothers? So she decides to go out and visit. Now, when she goes out, when she went out, the Hebrew word can have the connotation that she snuck out. So, you know, we think that it's a modern phenomenon when that teenage girl sneaks out the window I don't know what kind of windows they had in tents back in the day, but apparently Dinah snuck out of the tent. And she did it behind Leah's back. Mom, you know, may, may not have been watching or whatever, but that's the implication of the language. She went out, and she went out to visit the daughters of Shechem. Now, the daughters of Shechem would have been kind of the typical pagan young ladies, 
And uh, we're going to find out in this story that there's a, a lot of stuff going on here. And as she, she went out, I don't know if she normally did this. I don't know if she had a group of friends that she would normally go out and visit. But she went out and visited the daughters of the land. She, she wanted to go out and just kind of see the world. But when we go out and we leave the covering of the tent, as it were, whether it's the tent of God or the tent of our family, and we, we go out, what happens to young ladies often who feel sometimes, let's face it, parents, sometimes our kids feel a little stifled and they kind of want to go out and check things out and we all have to figure that out as parents, how much, you know, where are our boundaries and how much, you know, do we, we let them see some things but still protect them and that can be a hard balance sometimes. And I know this room is filled with those of you who have daughters. I don't have any daughters, but uh, I had nieces, and uh, I tried to kind of, you know, be a second dad to my nieces, and I would warn them, here's what you should look for in a young man. He better know the Word of God, and, and bring him over here. I'll shine my shotgun and talk to him, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, so my heart goes out to you if you have daughters. So anyway, so Dinah, you know, she, she goes out, and she's in this place called Shechem, and she's left the covering of the tent. And she's going to be, she's all of a sudden going, going to become very vulnerable. We live in a world where our kids, when they stu- start to go out into the world and start to, you know, spread their wings a little bit, they can be very naive about life. Amen? Uh, we, do, we, we as parents, were always warning you know, my mother would always warn me when I was leaving out, be careful. She would say, in your daily activities. And I said, okay, Ma, uh, uh, do you watch the road when you drive? She would say to me, no, Mom, I'd mess with her. No, I, I like to look to the right. I, I like to look northeast when I'm driving, just to see how things are going. <laughs> you don't, you're not on that cell phone when you're driving, are you? She'd have a whole list of questions for me, and then she'd reiterate, and then she'd reiterate, be careful, and all that stuff. Now, I do it. I, I find that's like the last thing. I either, either need to get I love you or be careful out to the boys. And, you know, it's just the parental thing, amen? This is kind of just what we do. We're concerned about them. Now, you have a father in heaven, and you're his child, and he's for you, he's not against you, and he gives you guidelines in scripture to protect you. God is not some killjoy up in the heavens that just says, you know what, every Christian that's born again, I just would, my singular goal is to ruin their fun. I don't want them smiling, I don't want them laughing, I don't want to, I just want them, they just kind of stay in the tent. That's what my mother would like me to do, by the way. Can't you just stay home? <laughs> then we make announcements. Oh, I'm going to work my mother tonight. We make announcements. Who's going, who's going to go on that mission trip? Shane's not going on that mission trip, is he? <laughs> She'll start asking questions. During the church service. It's like, mother, people do travel. Oh, no, no. <laughs> anyway. But I know what motivates my mom. My mom loves us. You know, when your father in heaven gives you guidelines and he says, stay within these guidelines for your safety, he knows what the battle's like. He knows the enemy. He knows the spiritual warfare that you're going to deal with. And he tells you what he tells you because he loves you. And sometimes, if not all the time, we have to learn the hard way. Amen. 
And we go out and we can warn people and we can mentor people and we can say, hey, you know, be careful. Well, Dinah went out and she decided to hang out with the girls of Shechem. It doesn't seem like that bad of a deal, but here's what happened. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, Hamor the Hivite is uh, here in verse two. He was the prince of the land, something like a king or, you know, the one in charge when he, Shechem, the son of the ruler, saw her, saw Dinah, he took her and he lay with her by force. So when she was out there, and you know, you can read commentaries on this and they say, well, was this the typical MO of the people of this land? Did they just kind of, you know, did they just look at your relationships this way and was it just, you know, part of their pagan practices to not think twice about, you know, uh, Uh, taking a girl by force. We don't know for sure. We don't know all the practices, but we do know this. Sometimes these things happen in pagan rituals. So here's a vulnerable girl. She's probably a young teenager. She goes out there, and all of a sudden this guy sees her, and the language is very strong if you have the ESV. It has the idea of he saw her, he seized her, he laid with her by force, he raped her. He raped her. And all of a sudden, Dinah's in this situation where this man grabs her, and now he's had his way with her by force. And this is a tragedy that does happen, and um, you know, I know in a room like this tonight are people who are listening to my voice. I know that there's things that happen in this world that can happen in our past, and uh, sometimes there's abuse that's happened to people, and they have you know, maybe a, something violent was done to them. Sadly, there's, you know, there's these, thing, these kinds of things happen in our world. And it's hard for people to try to recover from this kind of stuff. And Dinah was in that situation where this man grabbed her and, and took advantage of her. Of her and she was, she was out there and vulnerable. And we've had, you know, we have stories. Uh, I'm trying to analyze our audience because I don't think there's any young people here. But we have, we have, audi- we have uh, uh, situations in our world where, you know, there are people who are in the sex trafficking industry who have snatched girls off the street. We have situations where men have posed as college students convinced young vulnerable girls that they had all the best intentions got them to go somewhere and all of a sudden that young girl is now in the sex slave industry and they're telling us people who are experts in this field are telling us it's happening in the united states as well in fact if you've done any research on this uh, there's there's been some young ladies that have shared their stories of how they got set up they got snatched and then they had to be rescued by a ministry and this is one of the ministries that we actually support is uh, a ministry that goes into brothels and in other uh, countries to try to rescue young girls. In fact, uh, if you know Corey Nichols, how many of you remember Corey coming to speak? Corey Nichols just sent me a little uh, tag. It's a little keychain with the latest girl that they just rescued. And I think she was 14 years old, is 14 years old. She's got a big smile on her face and they rescued her because of that type of ministry and, and what you guys do is the body of Christ. And so here's Dinah in this situation. And it says that Shechem was deeply attracted to Dinah, verse three, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. 
Now there's another case in, in the scriptures and it's in 2 Samuel and I think it's Amnon and uh, he takes advantage of his sister as I recall the story and right after he takes advantage of her the Bible says he hates her. He hated her. And he said basically after he had his way with her get out of here. I don't want to see your face again. And, and that's just you know obviously horrible injury and insult. But here he took advantage of her and then he spoke tenderly to her and expressed his love to her. And uh, you know, this is, this is one of those situations where he did something terrible, he did something wrong, but then he tried to reassure her like, no, I, I really do love you, I'm, I'm really attracted to you and, and this is just gonna be okay. And, and all of a sudden Dinah's in this situation where she's been taken advantage of by this man and now he's confessing that he loves her. We find out in this story that Dinah is actually kept in this house. We find out later that Shechem has her in a house, and apparently she's been held there, almost like a kidnapping. And so she goes out from under the covering of her, her dad, and I don't know what was going on with mom and dad. I don't know how they didn't know her or if they let her do this or what, but verse 4 says, So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, and he said, Get me this young girl for a wife. I mean, I don't know what kind of household is going on in the, in, you know, in Hamor and his son, but uh, the son came to him and said, hey, I found this girl and I want her for a wife. And so uh, all of a sudden he tells dad, you know, uh, I, I know how this works. This is a dowry between the two dads. There's a negotiation. So I found this girl and I want you to, to go negotiate so she can be my wife. And this is, this is the culture. This is what's going on. And Get me this young girl for a wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter, verse five. But his sons were with the livestock, his livestock in the field. So Jacob uh, kept silent until they came in. Now the sons are out dealing with the livestock and dad hears what's going on. I don't know who told him. Uh, it may be that some of the daughters of the land had come and shared this with him. And they, they probably would have come and reported not only what happened, but that she was being held somewhere. And, and Jacob heard about it, but he didn't say anything. He kind of held his peace. Verse 5 says, he kept silent until they, that is, his sons came in. And what you're going to see in Jacob in chapter 34 is a very passive father. And I just want to comment for a second. There's too many passive fathers in our culture. Fathers have been called to be the, not only the head of their household, but the covering of the household. And in many ways, dads have released that responsibility. And so Dinah has been defiled. That's what the Bible uses as the language here. The word defiled, you know, is a word that I think we're all familiar with, but it means to be soiled. It means to be unclean. And, um, you know, I'm not going to assume for a moment that people that are sitting here tonight may not have that feeling. Sometimes we feel defiled by things that have happened to us in the past. Sometimes we feel like we've defiled ourselves by poor choices we've made, and sometimes it's a combination of both. In the New Testament, the people who were typically called unclean were lepers, and a leper had to announce, unclean, unclean. And in the Gospel of Luke, there was a leper who came to Jesus and he fell at Jesus' feet. And he said, if you are willing, do you remember this story? You can make me clean. 
And Jesus said, I am willing. And remarkably, Jesus touched that leper. And he, this is how the Bible would describe it, he was cleansed. And the Bible teaches us that we are cleansed. Leprosy in the Bible is a type, it's a picture of sin. It's a leprosy, they ultimately say what, what happens with leprosy is that it's not technically a skin-eating disease. Leprosy makes your nerve endings insensitive to pain. So that a leper ends up losing digits, fingers, limbs. They can even scrape off their nose. They could have a varmint chewing on their ear and they don't feel it. So where you would go, ah, and brush that thing away. You know, you get a bug on you, right? You, isn't it amazing? Your body's amazing. You can sense something on you. You ever had a, something crawling? Hey, no, I'm going to be on my back. Hey. Start screaming like a little girl. I've done that many times. Anyway, is there anything on my back? No, you big baby. <laughs> right? But for a leper, they become desensitized to pain. And that's what sin does to us. It desensitizes. Have you noticed that as a Christian, you are now resensitized? Have you noticed that language that used to flow out of your mouth so easily, now when your friends do that, you go, whoa, whoa. And if they use the name of God, does that bother you? It should. Because that's the one who saved us. That's our Father. That's our Creator, right? So, we have been, as Christians, get this. Here's the spiritual picture. When Jesus touched us and we were born again, we were cleansed. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now I'm clean before Almighty God. I'm unaccusable before the Father. And look, I've made my share of mistakes. There are things that I don't want to come up when I stand before God and praise God they're not going to come up because they were put on Him at the cross. You see, Jesus Christ endured my shame, took my wrath, took my sin at the cross so that I can be clean. And I'm unaccusable before the Father because of the work of the Son. I've been cleansed by His blood. God is no longer counting my sins against me, and He's no longer counting yours against you. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He what? Removed our transgressions from us. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're cleansed. You're clean. But Dinah, when she experienced this moment, she was defiled. Do you know that sexual sin in our culture is just rampant? We all know that. We know the pornography industry. We know what's going on in our world. And let me just say this to you. The devil loves to defile people. He loves for Christians to take two steps forward and three steps back so he can make you feel defiled. Right? You're clean before Almighty God, but he wants you to stay stuck. And you know what? In Jesus Christ, you're not defiled. You're clean. But you want to try to live out what you are positionally before God. You want to try to be that practically, and that's what we're all trying to do in what we call sanctification. We're justified 
in the moment we believe in Christ, his righteousness goes to our account. Our sin was put on him at the cross, but practically, sanctification, we still mess up. We're still like Jacob, right? One moment, we're hanging on to God. I'm not letting go until you bless me. And the next moment, we're lying to our brother. Oh, we'll catch up to you. Well, <laughs> this may hit real close to home for some of you. Yeah, I'll be there in a few. Not going. <laughs> kind of make an excuse. Flat tire. Anyway, there's Dinah. And it's sad what's happened to her. The Bible says that the marriage bed is undefiled. Um, it's hard sometimes for Christians to make this transition because the, the, when you're a Christian and you're trying to, to be pure and then you get married, sometimes it's hard for young couples to make that transition from the light is red, 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 no, 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 to go. <laughs> Bleep, it's green now, okay. So you might want to, when you do premarital counseling, you might want to talk about some of those issues, you know. I think it's healthy to do that. The marriage bed, please hear me, is undefiled. God made this up. God wants you to have a healthy relationship with your spouse. And we got so much baggage, folks, in these areas that sometimes it's hard to know how to navigate life. I'm just being real with you tonight, amen? Sometimes it's hard. And so here's Dinah. She's got to be devastated. She's probably a young teenager. The brothers are out in the field. Jacob's heard about it. He stayed silent. I don't know if he's in some sort of silent rage or if he's just, you know, kind of being passive, which he seems to be this whole chapter, verse 6. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. Here comes Hamor. Now the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it. They heard the same thing that had happened, and the men were grieved. I want you to notice that the men mentioned in verse 7 seems to be the brothers, but not Jacob. It's not mentioned that Jacob was grieved. When, when Hamor, the father of Shechem, Shechem's the one that defiled Dinah, comes to him, he's, he's going to negotiate. He's come to dad, one dad to the other dad, to talk about these two kids, quote-unquote, getting married. That's, that's what's happened. Shechem's asked Hamor, Dad, I want you to go. I, I want to have this, this gal as my wife. And so he goes to speak to Jacob about these matters. And the sons of Jacob come in the, from the field, and when they heard it, and maybe they walked in on the conversation when uh, Hamor is explaining what's going on with, to Jacob, the men were grieved and they were very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel, which is interesting because Israel is just a family right now. But it says in Israel, by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing ought not to be done. Now, on many levels, this was wrong. This was wrong because, number one, uh, this, this guy uh, shouldn't have been with her in the first place. But obviously, the sexual sin was wrong. The, the, the forced, uh, uh, the rape here was wrong. It was wrong on so many levels. It was disgraceful. And these men were grieved. They were furious. But Hamor spoke of them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. Now, wouldn't you think that it would be something like Hamor might say, uh, Hey, listen, I, I've come to apologize. Something, something terrible's happened. Uh, my son has done a horrible thing. He, he has violated your daughter. 
I'm so sorry. There's no apology here. All there is is, hey, he wants her as his wife. So are we cool? <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. We're not cool. No, hey, more, we're not cool. So notice, he says, man, another way to put this is, my son longs for her. Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. And intermarry with us. Uh, give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. Hey, hey, uh, hey, Hamor's got a great plan. This is an opportunity. This is not a setback. It's an opportunity. I know the kids, you know, they, they did things out of order a little bit. But hey, said Hamor. And if I was one of the, the brothers here, I would say, hey, Hamor, don't say hey anymore. Uh, anyway. Hey, let's strike up a deal. I'll tell you what. This could be beneficial for all of us. Look at verse 10. You'll live with us. The land shall be open before you. And, and, and you can live and trade in it and acquire property in it. Hey, this is wonderful. In fact, I've got a brochure right here about the, the shallows of Shechem. It's this new complex over here that you can all live in. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, let me see that brochure. See, the enemy has a way of trying to kind of cover it and so we don't deal with it, right? And then, and then offer us uh, attractive little goodies in Shechem so we can just shoulder some more. Hey, there's economic advantage. There's livestock here. There's land. There's property. You've got it all here. This dude is pretty clever because he's kind of distracted the whole conversation away from what's really happened here. So he says, verse... Uh, 11, Shechem also said to her father and to her brother, so now the whole group is there, if I find favor in your sight, then I will give whatever you say to me. Oh, and by the way, uh, in Shechem we have the, the name, the price for your daughter tool by progressive. <laughs> so we're a progressive society here. So here's what we do. Just, just name your price, man. Go ahead. See, this is what they would do with the dowry. You had to pay something as the father of the prospective groom to get the hand of the prospective girl. And so he's just basically saying to dad, I tell you what, go ahead. Whatever you say, this is a blank check. Ask me, verse 12, ask me ever so much bridal payment. This is a dowry and gift, and I will give it according as you uh, say to me. But give me the girl in marriage. Just give me the girl, and I'll give you the money. <laughs> wow. Brothers are there. Steam's coming out of their ears. Who knows what's going on with Jacob, right? And this dude's making this offer. And what do you think the brothers are thinking? I just want to slug him in the face right now. I'm going to deck Hamor. <laughs> so notice what happens. So Jacob's sons answered, not Jacob, but his sons answered, Shechem, and uh, his father Hamor with deceit. So now here, here's the other thing. Apparently, as the conversation's going on, Shechem shows up. Oh, here's my boy now. Yeah, he, he's the one that's, you know, I'm talking to you about Dinah. Can you imagine the brothers? They have to be just steaming. So Shechem and, uh, and his father uh, Hamor, verse 13, uh, Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor with deceit, 
So here the sons are starting to cook up a little plan, verse 13, and spoke to them because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. So the brothers, they hatched a little plan here. They're being a little deceptive. You might want to underline the word deceit there because that's what they've seen their dad do as recently as his last discussion with Esau. Hey, we'll follow you to Mount Seir. We'll, yeah, bro, go ahead and go. We'll see you in a few. See, when sons watch fathers practice deceit, it becomes pretty easy for them to do the same. And so all of a sudden, they're deceitful. And they said to them, here's the brothers stepping up when Jacob should have been the one talking. They said, we cannot do this thing to give you, to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. For that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition, verse 15, will we consent to you if you will become like us and that every male of you be circumcised. Okay, hey more. <laughs> I tell you what, we just got one more hey for you. Here's what it is. If all your males will agree to receive the sign of circumcision, then we got a deal. Now we know they're speaking deceitfully and this is kind of sad because they're taking the sign of circumcision which was given to Abram in chapter 17 which was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. It's something that's supposed to be uh, you know, uh, uh, religious, spiritual, a sign of the covenant, something sacred and they're going to use it as a means of deception. So they said, then 16 we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters for ourselves and we will live with you and become one people. Okay, if this is what you want, here's our condition. You said anything, here it is. But if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. Now their words seemed reasonable. <laughs> you might want to mark that to Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. I think they had kind of a sidebar. Uh, hold on a minute. Me and dad are going to talk over here. We'll, we'll be right back. What do you think? Well, circumcision, yeah. <laughs> seems reasonable. <laughs> what do you mean? It seems reasonable. But this kind of gives us an insight that Shechem apparently did have a lot of passion for Dinah. I don't know if he truly loved her, but he certainly was infatuated with her. So they said, uh, okay, ready, break. Seems reasonable to us. And the young man did not delay to do this thing, verse 19. Boy, he was not playing around. Uh, not, not delaying is apparently he uh, circumcised himself because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now he was more respected than all the household of his father. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate. The gate of their city would be the place that oftentimes the officials of the city were, were at. They would make decisions at the gate. And they spoke to the men of their city, saying, Hey, boys, gather around. These men are friendly with us, these Jewish guys, the family of Jacob. Therefore, let them live in the land and trade in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters in marriage and give our daughters to them. Oh, there's only one more thing, verse 22. <laughs> there's only one condition. It's, it's, it's fairly minor. seems reasonable to us. Uh, will the men consent to us uh, to live with us to become one people uh, that every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised? Oh, just one more thing. Uh, you know, land, uh, property, uh, livestock, intermarriage, and circumcision. Circumcision. <laughs> what? Did you sneeze? Circumcision, yeah. 
Will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Hey, you could see maybe, maybe there were some faces, you know, on the guys that were like, what, suck them who? And so I think they got, they're trying to close the deal here. So it's going hey, hey, listen, will not their livestock and their property, <laughs> check out these brochures, <laughs> and all their animals be ours, only let us consent to them, and they will live with us. So all who went out of the gate of the city, of his city, listened to Hamor and to his son Shechem. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. Now, I don't know how many people, how many men this was, but I imagine something like a line at the amusement park <laughs> on one of those slow days. <laughs> Probably the parting gift that you get is a pocket knife. <laughs> Can you imagine this? Hey, what's going on over here today? Uh, we're in line for, uh, for what? Yeah, the, uh, we made a deal with a Jacob guy, Shechem and Dinah. <laughs> Crazy. Now, it came about on the third day, verse 25. Told you this is going to be painful. <laughs> When they were in pain, I guess the third day was, uh, you know, kind of the bad day in terms of the, the pain threshold. They were in pain that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi. Now, Simeon and Levi are Dinah's brothers. And if you recall, Reuben was the oldest born to Leah. And these are, as I recall, number two and number three. Simeon means God hears. Levi, I think, means joined. And so they're Dinah's brothers. And so on the third day, all the men of Shechem are in pain. Now, I don't know if they gave pen medica pain medication with the pocket knife. I'm not sure. You know, <laughs> I don't know if there was Advil back in the day. or I don't think so. But anyway, they were in pain. So two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword, came upon the city unawares, and killed every male in the city. And they killed Hamor, 26, and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house. There's where she was. And they went out. They kind of did an ancient snatch and grab with the sword. And the men of the city were in no position to fight, as we know. And so it was, they were easy pickings. And they used the sign of circumcision as a means to set these guys up. And they set them up and they went in and killed them, and they killed every male in the city. Jacob's sons came upon the slain, looted the city. I don't know if this is the, um, the two mentioned or the rest of the sons now join in. But here's ancient Israel. They looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys, that which was in the city and that which was in the field, they captured 29 and looted all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the houses. They took everything and put those who survived into slavery. And you're like, wow. Now, if you take a step back for a second, you say, now Jacob ended up in Shechem instead of Bethel. Could he have avoided this whole situation if he would have gone to Bethel? You say, well, is it 
Are we sure that he was supposed to end up in Bethel? It's, a, it's speculation, but look at chapter 35. Look at verse 1. Pastor Chris will teach on this next Wednesday, but God said to Jacob after this whole mess had happened, 35.1, Arise and go up to Bethel and live there and make an altar there to God. So it does seem like uh, when this is all said and done, God says to Jacob, you need to go. But the sons of, of Jacob take matters into their own hands and they killed these people. And uh, I don't know what Jacob was doing this whole time, but all of a sudden, here's how the chapter ends. Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, 30, verse 30, you have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And my men, being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I, sh and I shall be destroyed, I and my household. Boy, Jacob, have you not overlooked just a few things here? Like, uh, your daughter was defiled by this guy. You were passive. You sat there and did nothing. You let him make this attempt to, at this dowry and quote-unquote making things right. Come on, Dad. It seems like the sons stepped up because maybe they didn't think their dad was going to do anything. And Jacob makes it all about him. You've brought trouble on me. This is a problem for me. But they said, should he treat our sister as a harlot? And the chapter ends. And that's why I said to you, Genesis 34 is in the Bible for a reason. What's the reason? Well, I think one of the reasons is it shows you that the Bible is a very real book with very real people who made very real mistakes and blunders. And this is the family of Israel. And it means to, to me that uh, from this line, you know, ultimately the greater Israel is going to be a man named Jesus Christ. He's going to walk in those fallen footsteps of Israel. Where they feel, failed, he's going to succeed. Where they dropped the ball, he's going to hold on to it. And he's going to take upon himself the sin of the world. Would you listen to it? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And that's Isaiah 53. And if, and if the people of Israel will embrace their Messiah, just like hopefully you have tonight, they will find forgiveness and cleansing through all the garbage of life, whether it was done to you or whether you did something wrong to somebody else. And I realize tonight that you might be on the other side Maybe you committed a dastardly deed. Maybe you did something wrong in your past. And you often revisit that and you feel defiled. Look, that can be forgiven too. It doesn't mean that you don't want to try to make amends and do all that you can to make things right. But at some point, even if you are on that side of it and you're the wrongdoer, you're not Dinah, you're Shechem, thank God that he forgives those sins as well. We want to move on and we want to leave that stuff in our past. And sometimes the devil brings that stuff up, up again and he says, well, how dare you call yourself a child of God? Look, if it was based upon uh, 
you know, a perfect past, none of us would be here tonight, amen? We've come to the foot of the cross to find healing and a new life in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the folks that are here tonight. One of the ways that I think we can move on from our past, whatever uh, end of this story we find ourselves on, whether we sought revenge like the brothers here and they took matters into their own hands and some of us have done that too, Lord, and we've, we've caused damage when um, we try to take things into our own hands. You know, vengeance does belong to you, but when someone sins against a family member, it's so hard, Lord. And yet you took all of that, that junk and the wrath and you bore our sin in your body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By your wounds, we were healed. And so I just pray over the group tonight. I pray that whatever business they need to do with you tonight, whatever they need to lay at the foot of the cross afresh, um, that they would know where they stand with you, Lord, forgiven, a new name, a new walk, a new life. Help us not to look back. Sometimes there's value in looking back, but help us to press forward, Lord, towards the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you sent your son for people like us and people like we find in chapter 34. And, and sometimes it's hard to clean up these messes, Lord, that are created. And all we can do is leave them in your hands. But tonight we've, we read a scripture that says we read the Bible to learn and not to repeat the, uh, the bad examples in scripture. Let us learn from these things to protect us to rest in your forgiveness if that's what we need tonight, to not make ourselves uh, vulnerable in situations where we don't need to be, to walk in a matter that is worthy of the calling with which we have been called. We love you tonight. We praise you. And I just want to ask you to keep your head and heart bowed. And if you've not met Christ, tonight can be your night to experience that cleansing, that forgiveness in him. Just say, Lord, save me. Please forgive me of the things that I've done wrong. Maybe you're a believer tonight, but you need to experience that cleansing. You need to confess something. Just say, Lord, I agree with you. My sin's wrong. I own it. I forsake it. I'm gonna receive your cleansing. I wanna be in close fellowship with you tonight. But if you're not a believer, just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Change me, save me, forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Pray it to him. I believe you rose from the dead to defeat death and I'm gonna trust in you. Change me from the inside out. Father, you, you know every heart. You're hearing the cries of your people and those who may become your people tonight. Lead us to the cross where your blood ran down. Make us new and help us to walk in victory for the rest of this week and in the days and months ahead, I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.